Welcome to Celebrity Consumer with me, Dean Dunham, where I'll be having a lively and entertaining chat to one of the nation's favourite celebrities each week. Now, you'll get a unique insight into each celebrity's everyday life, including where they shop, their shopping habits, problems they've experienced when buying goods or services, and how savvy they really are when it comes to consumer rights. We'll also be finding out what's currently going on in their lives and getting the lowdown on what we can expect to see next in their life and in their celebrity career. Now, this week, I'm delighted to be joined by the none other than Mark Labette, also known as The Beast from, of course, ITV1's The Chase. Good morning, Mark. Oh, hi, Dean. Good morning to you. It's a sort of strangely funny day out in Newbury. I think every day is strange, actually, during this lockdown. Here we are, third lockdown um, since the start. Um, Mark, how have you found these three lockdowns? Have you been, we've been doing during this time? Well, I'm pretty close to a teetotaler, but even I fancy a drink. I think every day is a strange day at the moment, actually, Mark, with all these lockdowns. How have you been coping with the lockdown? Uh, For the first lockdown, I was principally childcare to my son. And I suddenly realised that looking after a, a child for 14 hours a day, seven days a week, it almost killed me. When the nursery reopened on June the 1st, I was the happiest man alive. I've actually heard many people say that. Now, I'm sure lots of people are thinking this, but I was thinking your son has been spending 14 hours a day with you. Does that mean that he's going to be the next superstar chaser? But at the moment, he's more keen to be the next great Lego superstar. I'm sure that's what they all say. Mark, obviously we know you from the chase, but what did you do before the chase? Uh, Principally, I was a maths teacher for 15 years, but I've also got a CP and LPC for a lawyer, a solicitor, 25 years ago, so I know just enough law to be dangerous. Well, I'm going to test you on that later. I won't remember any of it. You're the superstar chaser. You've got to remember all of it. And I understand that you also graced our screens as a, as a contestant on various different TV shows as well. Is that right? Yeah, I had a strange jinx that when I was a teacher, I didn't win anything. But so when I moved to um, part-time teaching, then I started to win. I've won only connect with my team back in 2009. The one that, the one I was quite successful on was um, Who Wants to be a Millionaire, where I, I won 32 grand on the TV show and 16 grand on their live version, where I beat everybody else in the country. Wow, when was that? 2005. It was kind of pleasing. It just shows my luck. The fastest fingers first question was sorting out silver coinage into order based on their reverse symbol. And I'd been sorting out my coin drawer four days before. And was that a pure coincidence? It was literally fresh in the memory. Now, I know many people are going to be wondering this, and I certainly wonder. And of course, my, my family actually loved The Chase. It's one of the favourite TV shows in my house. But how do you become so good at being a chaser? IQ of 151, so yes. Um, but... In fairness, that's not the only thing to be a chaser. All the great quizzes have what I call a sticky memory, the ability to sort of just absorb information almost without trying, and more importantly, be able to drag it back. So, for example, when we went to New York, my wife went in some of the big fashion shops, and I came out from that knowing all the brand names. Wow. So are you reading loads of books to get this knowledge, or where does it come from? 
Well, we're lucky that the four major subjects, history, literature, science, and geography, don't change that much. So once you've learnt them, that they're pretty much done. But I'm always trying to watch the new films, the new TV shows, and keep an eye on what's the new songs in the charts. Now, you've been on The Chase since 2009. How's it been? Well, that first five shows, Sean and I got paid 100 quid each. We took a week off our work. So I lost a little bit of money as a teacher. Sean lost thousands as a pretty good criminal barrister. But it paid off. It certainly did. And where does the nickname The Beast come from? I've heard lots of different stories, but what's the true story, Mark? Uh, it's always nice to have rumours and legends about yourself. Uh, both myself and my bigger six foot nine little brother have been known as the beast to our friends for about 20 odd years. Well, the name Labette, it's French for the beast. Yes. So if you went on the show as a contestant, who would you not want to face as a chaser? Is there anybody? Oh, Paul, he's the best. He's work. He's he's obsessed. He works ten to twelve hours a day easily, and his husband's just as keen of quizzes. So they they outwork us all. Have you ever actually gone head to head with other chasers? We do calibration tests regularly, and it's fair to say at the moment Paul's normally first, and I'm normally second. Although occasionally I get a result against him. And I'm not going to say anything more about what happens afterwards. Mark, obviously you do the chase in Australia and the USA as well. Um, Are they harder than the UK? Because obviously there's local questions coming up. Well, the American one, I did a lot of preparation. It kind of helped. When they first started, there was a lot of really local American questions, right, which I couldn't answer. And they were shocked that I didn't know who the junior senator for Minnesota was or, you know, who was this person appearing in an advert. And I'm going, I've never seen the advert. I've never even heard the company. Um, The Australian one, I don't bother because they basically ask us British and world questions. They very rarely ask us any Australians. The annoying thing for me is I love my American-Australian sport and I barely get any questions on it. So do you have any plans for any other TV shows coming up? Well, you know my um, my agent, David Hahn, and he's trying to get me some work. I'd love to host my own quiz show like um, Anne's got one and Paul's got one. And I've got to hope it's my turn at some point. You know, you just got to hope <clears throat> your face fits. I've got to ask you because there's a rumour that you may be doing celebs go dating. Any truth in that? I will consider anything if the fee's good enough. I am a complete mercenary. So we may see you on the screen soon chasing ladies around. Well, I don't chase so much as amble. So Mark, we all know how great you are at general knowledge and about all the things that you talk about on the chase. But how are you at your consumer rights? I'm probably about 25 years out of date. I'm guessing that these days with online shopping, there's kind of legal protections. I'm not sure if consumer law's caught up with it. Well, that means what I'm going to do next is going to be quite interesting because I can't have a chaser on here without actually asking them some questions. This is going to be the only time that I might actually beat a chaser, especially you. So I couldn't help myself, Mark. We're going to have to give this a go. Question number one. In October 2015, the Sale of Goods Act was replaced with a new law. What is it called? Is that Sale of Goods and Services? Question two. When are you automatically entitled to a refund for faulty goods? Um, When they're defective. Question three. Goods must satisfy three requirements. They must be fit for purpose, 
of satisfactory quality and what else? Merchandisable quality? You can tell them out of date. When you buy goods in a shop, are you entitled to change your mind and ask for a refund? I think no, not once the till's rung up. And finally, what is a Section 75 claim? No idea. Thank you very much. Uh, Let me just tell you the answers now. Question number one, it's the Consumer Rights Act 2015. You were right. What you said about earlier, the law did have to catch up with online shopping. Um, It did so when the act came out, as in the Consumer Rights Act. Now, for listeners, I always say this, the Consumer Rights Act greatly empowers consumers. It's a really good new piece of law. Uh, I'm saying it's new. I mean, it came out in 2015, but in in law, in the legal world, that's new. Uh, Second question, you're automatically entitled to a refund with faulty goods if you find the fault in the first 30 days. It was one of the really good things that came out with this new law because we didn't used to have this. And now it's as of right, which is a really powerful tool. The third one is as described. Um, So goods have to be as they have been described by the seller. You're right about the fourth one. You can't change your mind when you're buying a shop. But interestingly, if you buy online, you can change your mind as long as you do so within 14 days of delivery. Now, the final question, section 75, this mark is something that most people don't know about, which is why I put it in here. Um, And the reason it amazes me is that we've had this law since 1974. So even when you did your legal practice course, we had this law. And basically what it is, is that if you buy something on your credit card, the per- and the purchase price was more than £100 and one penny and less than £30,000, it means that you can go back to the car provider if something goes wrong and say, I'll have my money back, please. You go and fight the trade of the retailer or, who- or whoever it is. It's a great protection not many people know about, but it's available to anyone who pays with a credit card. You know what? Most people don't know that. And hopefully it means, Mark, that whatever you buy now you'll do so on your credit card. Because really, why wouldn't you with this great protection that's in place now? Wow. Why did I not know that? I did wonder because my my basic thing was uh, offer an acceptance, which is why I knew about ringing up the till. I did wonder with these new shop and scan things now, does that change the point of acceptance? So for the non-lawyers listening, offer and acceptance comes under contract law. And basically, for there to be a binding contract, you have to have three elements, an offer, an acceptance and consideration. That means someone's got to offer to buy the goods. Someone's got to offer to sell them um, the other way around and you have to pay for them. doesn't even have to be in money. You've got to pay for them in something. Now, it's a bit different with retail because what retailers do is what we call an invitation to treat. And when we get to the till, you basically give the goods over to the um, cashier and you're offering to buy them. And then what then happens is the cashier accepts that um, offer and then takes your money. If you put it in your basket, does that qualify as acceptance? So if you put something in your shopping basket and then change your mind, can you not? Yeah. And the answer to that is that you can. And this is partly why this invitation to treat law came about in the first place. And it also has a criminal element as well. So if you go into a shop 
You take something off the shelf and put it in your basket. Have you stolen it at that point? Well, of course you haven't because you're invited in that shop to buy goods. You're expected to go to the till with the goods. When you hand those goods over, you're offering to buy them and then they accept your offer um, and you pay your money and a contract is formed. So really what this means is because of this law, it's not unless you walk out of the shop without going through those elements of the contract, i.e. paying for the goods, it's not until that point that actually it becomes a criminal offence. If, of course, and I'll say this for the criminal lawyers that might be listening to this, if you are deciding to permanently deprive the shop of the goods. Of course, we all know that if you walk out of a shop with goods, unless it's a mistake, you've probably done so because you want to steal them. And that's a criminal offence. But Mark, coming back to your um, question, no, just putting it in the basket doesn't mean at that stage that you're now committing an offence. Yeah, and, and also to steal, you need to have intention so if you just walk out by a complete accident, you haven't committed theft. You've been an idiot, but you haven't committed theft. You've been spending time with Sean, haven't you? The criminal barrister chaser. Uh, and I'm sure it sounds like he's been teaching you some law. Oh, well, I'm, given his record on criminal law, if ever I was in trouble, I'd be straight on the phone to him. Like I said, I'm a half-trained lawyer from 25 years ago. The, the career I missed out on was being a tax lawyer. Can you imagine a qualified solicitor who's also a world-class mathematician and arithmetician? Well, I was at training at Glamorgan and it was an elective course. So when they asked who wants to do tax law, I stuck my hand up. And in a room of 200, I realised I was the only one sticking my hand up. So they said, we won't bother doing it. Yeah, I mean, who's lucky enough to be doing the job they were born to do? And it didn't even exist to 11 years ago. Very, very true. Mark, are you a complainer when it comes to shopping and buying goods and services? No, but then I am pretty cautious about checking things like auto-reply addresses or whatever. So, I would, for example, when you get something like uh, your bill from BT's in and you owe 500 quid, I check the reply line to check it actually is to a BT line, you know, rather than some dodgy company in Russia or... Uh, Tuvalu or whatever. Yes, good point. I have, I'll have. i be asking about scams shortly because they are so common these days and they affect so many people. Well, I had, I had one the other day where from PAYM saying £1,364 paid into my PayPal. And I went, oh, what's that? So I was about to press, I thought, hang on, let's check. And then it was to an address in Nui or Nui or whatever it's called. And so you're thinking, just it's so easy to catch you. Yeah, it is. Have you actually ever fallen victim to a scam? Just once. And it, it teach me to do my tax returns at midnight. I was filling it in and I thought I'd got the HMRC gateway. And what I'd got was to a company that sort of basically mocked it up. And they charged me £400 to check my tax return, which was right, of course. I didn't bother, I must confess. I thought, I'm an idiot. Yeah, so many people fall victim to that precise scam, Mark. I mean, don't those websites look so real? Well, that was it. It, it, it. And plus, you're not really concentrating. You type in the address. The clues were there. They even used words like gateway. They just didn't put HMRC's logo up. And I should know better because it was about the third or fourth time I'd done that. You know, I uh, filled out my tax return online. Often they do use the logo. And in fact, visually, they just look identical to the real thing, unless you know precisely what to look out for. I mean, I think I've done quite well. That's the only one I've been caught with. But the biggest scam I've ever had was the US government, who overtaxed me to the tune of about 30, 40,000 pounds. 
And by the time sort of I found out about it, they went, oh, too late, you're time barred for most of it. So the US government are far bigger scammers than any, these amateurs. There's actually the same problem in Australia because um, they have withholding tax, don't they, when you work there? Uh, well, I do there, but since 40 this time, when I worked in Australia, Channel 7 very kindly supplied me with an accountant who did it all for me. It's kind of great. I get a rebate most, most years. As you should, quite rightly. Now, one of the scams that affects many celebrities is when fraudsters use their image to promote, I was going to say a product or a service, but really it's to promote a scam in real life. And obviously, Anne Hegarty, your fellow chaser, had this with a dieting scam. She came on my LBC show to talk about it recently. Has that ever happened to you, Mark? It's just started, I think, at the first one the other other day. Mark, I'm always telling people this, and it'd be interesting to get your take on it, that actually when these scams happen and celebrities' names are used, it's really upsetting for the celebrity. Now, I know you said it's only just happened to you, um, but it does. It affects your brand, doesn't it? And some people believe that it really was you and therefore you've now pocketed the money. Well, my thing based on that is to do with social media. I joined Twitter because I found two people were pretending to me. So the first thing I did was get on and um, apply to Twitter, sent them my ID and said, I'm me. A Twitter investigated these other two who couldn't supply the uh, the ID and they got rid of them. My, my colleague, Sean Wallace, in particular, has a problem with uh, there's a rather offensive person pretending to be him who's using... Uh, lots of racial epithets and stuff in their tweets. Sean's view is, oh, well, it, you know, but I'm thinking you really ought to clear it out just for your own protection. Yeah, and for protection of others as well. Now, last year, I did a scam awareness campaign on my RBC show. And every Friday, I was talking about scams religiously. And lots of people contacted me by telephone, tweet, Twitter, all sorts of ways um, about scams that they'd fallen victim to. And a lot of those scams were celebrity linked and they were so common, um, these scams amongst people that have been contacted me. Now, I'm always telling people, go and look at the celebrity's official website, if they've got one, of course. And if the goods that your uh, the celebrity is endorsing are on their official website, then it probably is going to be true. It's going to be um, genuine, I should say. But if it's not on their official website, probably it's going to be a scam. So Mark, if anyone saw something being advertised and there was one of those captions next to it, you know, Mark Labette thinks it's great or something like that, how would they know if it's real or not in your case? Well, I would say if it's real, the celeb will be advertising it on their Twitter feed, on their Insta feed, because let's face it, they're being paid to advertise it on their... If it's just somebody saying, you know, Anne Hegarty recommends this is the world's greatest diet pill. She'd be putting it on a Twitter feed if she was actually hers. Great advice. I think that's what people need to do. I'm repeating it because so many people fall victim to this. And people need to know that when you see these advertisements, you the first thing to do is do your due diligence. And as I say, check to see if this celebrity has got a website Google the celebrity name with what's being endorsed, allegedly, I should say, next to their name. Because if other people have been caught out by it because it's a scam, they'll be saying so online and you'll be able to get this great information. And if it's being, sorry, and if it's being advertised from a blue tick site, so, you know, your officially verified Twitter account or Insta account, then you know it's meant to be the person it is. I'm getting my Insta account being verified as we speak. But it can go the other way. 
And I heard recently that Twitter actually in the middle of overhauling the blue tick because, in fact, it hasn't really helped or hasn't done the job it should have done. Well, it always amazed me when people get a, a blue tick and they've got like 500 followers and you're going, how the hell have you managed that? And they're not people of what I call great note. Well, I, I have a rule in life. They always say, don't drink and drive. And I add to that, don't write an email and drink. And especially don't tweet when you're drunk because you'll regret it in the morning. What my, one of my previous managers uh, was um, agent to uh, somebody who's very famous. And his job first thing in the morning was to delete all their drunken tweets. You are so right. I mean, Mark, you, as you know, I spent many years representing celebrities. And one of the main jobs I used to have to do for them was to advise on posts, or should I say, things that they shouldn't put on the likes of Twitter, Facebook, and other social media platforms. Um, And I always used to advise that, look, be careful what you're putting on there. Think before you press the button or before you tweet. Read it back first, see what you've written, see how it's going to be interpreted by someone else, because that's where people get ideas from to scam or to use a celebrity as the um as the main part of their scam yeah and conversely if you have been caught doing something silly it's not an automatic get out of jail but apologize completely and fulsomely as quickly as as quickly as possible it won't necessarily go away but it mitigates a lot of the damage you know when in a hole stop digging i think you're right and maybe the politicians should actually start to learn a little bit from this uh, perhaps they should be listening to this podcast, actually, Mark, and take leave out of your book, because if you get something wrong, just say sorry. Stop digging and digging, because say sorry, that's how you deal with these things. Mark, let's go back to shopping quickly. Have you ever had a disaster with a purchase? Actually, not too bad. I'm, I'm, well, for start, I'm a man of a certain age who just doesn't want anything. My wife's had one or two uh, things where she's bought the right, the wrong stuff. And then the problem she sends me in to try and argue for the refund. Well, you are the beast. I don't think they're going to say no to you, are they? You know, here's me trying to get refund on a pair of size five killer heel shoes. You know, this shopping assistant must be looking going, is he Brenda at the weekend or something? <laughs> and how is he going to get them on? Yeah, well, they're 40 when they're family like size five shoes. I'm going, yeah, look, look at my feet. Do you really think? What size feet have you got? About size 11s or 12s. So I, I keep saying I'd happily do celeb drag race because I think I'd be seven foot in the killer heels. I don't know if they make heels that took big, though. <laughs> Mark, I now think you should definitely do that show. And as you said earlier, I do know your agent very well. And I'm going to suggest to him that he should definitely get you that show. I've said to my colleagues, I'm sorry, I'd look the best in drag. <laughs> it's been great chatting to you. Very interesting, as I knew it would be. Mark, thank you so much. 